The text for this morning's service is taken from Exodus, chapter 24, the verses 3 through 12. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, Everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up twelve stone pillars representing the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it upon the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron Nadab and Abihu and the seventy elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commands I have written for their instruction. That is the text for this morning. And then after the worship service, or after the sermon rather, we will sing from hymn 40, the stanzas 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. Every Sunday, we start the week off by reciting the ten words of the covenant. And then we are reminded each time of the moment when the Lord God gave the nation of Israel these words to live by. It is a very important moment in the history of redemption. The Lord God had taken that nation, Israel, those people out of the land of Egypt, and he brought them into the wilderness to lead them to the promised land. They were his special people. All the other nations in the world had rejected the Lord, and now he chose Israel out of all the other nations in order to keep a faithful remnant on the earth. And that is also what he does for us. He has set us apart from the world so that he can have a people to worship him. It's God's doing. He does it out of his great love for himself, first of all. And within his love, he includes us. But what kind of people were those Israelites as they stood there before they received those ten words of the covenant. 
when we read through Exodus and see how they conducted themselves since the time that the Lord God had led them out of the land of Egypt, and then we get some idea. These Israelites, they had barely left Egypt, or they murmured or and complained to the Lord about their plight. They were dissatisfied. They were full of complaints about their predicament. And they remembered only the good things they had while they were still in Egypt. They were quite an unruly lot. They lacked in discipline. They lacked in self-restraint. Also, they had little knowledge about the proper worship of the Lord. They were greatly deficient in many ways. And in our text, we meet them 50 days after their exodus from Egypt. So not all that long, not even two months. That means that 50 days before they had celebrated the Passover, when they had put the blood on the doorposts and they had eaten the sacrificial lamb and the unleavened bread. Later on, on that same day, Pentecost will be celebrated. But a lot of things will have to happen before that great day of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit would come about. But we see in our text that the great light of Pentecost begins to shine through here already, here in Sinai, 50 days after they left Egypt. The Lord God is preparing his people, and in so doing, he uses his servant Moses to that end. He uses Moses as an intermediary between himself and the people. He uses Moses in order to give this unknowledgeable and stiff-necked people a greater understanding of the kind of relationship that God wants there to be between him and his people. He wants them to have a greater understanding of the covenant with its promises and demands. Let us listen this morning to the preaching of God's word as we see this great occasion in the history of God's people unfold. I've summarized the text as follows. Through the mediation of Moses, the Lord seals his covenant at Mount Sinai. And then we will see two things. First, we will look at the blood of the covenant, and then secondly, at the meal of the covenant. I'll I'll state that once again. Through the mediation of Moses, the Lord seals his covenant at Mount Sinai. We will see first the blood of the covenant, and then secondly, the meal of the covenant. This was the third time that Moses had been on the mountain to meet the Lord God as mediator of God's people. While on the mountain, Moses had to hear the words that the Lord spoke to him, and he had to pass that on to the people. Moses, of course, received more than just the ten words of the covenant. For the chapters 20 through 23 contain also all the other words that the Lord had directly spoken to him. And those four chapters are known separately as the book of the covenant. For they contain the heart and the soul of the covenant that the Lord God makes with his people. The Lord God wants to keep his people or make his people holy. 
That is to say, they had to be a separate nation. They had to be dedicated to the Lord their God. And they had to learn how to do that. They could not be like the other nations around them. No, they had to listen to the Lord their God. They had to learn how to remain separate. For as sinful men, they had to be reconciled to God. And they could only do so if they knew the will of the Lord and if they also had a desire to do the will of the Lord. And that's exactly what they promised to do. They said, everything the Lord has said, we will do. Now, this was quite a moment for them. And Moses will have been very happy with the words of the people. They meant well. Yet, it was not enough that the people just speak these words. For as you know, man is sinful. And sinful man is not always good for his word. We make many promises, don't we? Yet we do not always keep our words. Moses knew very well that that is what people are like. Man is not reliable. He often does not do what he says he will do. He has good intentions. And so what does Moses do? Well, First of all, Moses writes down the words that the Lord God had just given him on Mount Sinai. And in this way, there will be a record of the words of the Lord God to which they had responded. He writes them down exactly the way that he had been told them. In so doing, Moses was completely under the influence of the Holy Spirit. For no one could do what he did at this point. What did Moses do exactly? Well, Moses remembered all the words that the Lord God had told him. Not a single word was changed. Moses wanted to have an exact record of what the Lord said so that later those same words could be read time and again. And Moses does this at the command of the Lord. For they had to keep every single letter to which they had given their word. And by writing all these words down, the people would be reminded of the things that they had promised. And they would need to be reminded of that time and again. And this is why we also go to church every Sunday, to be reminded of what God wants from our lives. Moses, however, does more than just write down those words. Moses also builds an altar. But that is something he does on his own initiative. For nowhere do we read that he was commanded by the Lord to do so. He builds an altar to the Lord at the foot of Mount Sinai. It is a spontaneous reaction to the momentous happenings of the last few days. And by doing this, he is in tune with the practices of the past. This is what Noah did, for example, when he emerged from the ark after the waters had subsided and after the Lord had told it to be fruitful and multiply. He built an altar and he offered burnt offerings on the altar. And that's also what Abraham did after the Lord God had spoken to him and told him that he would give him and his descendants the land of Canaan. 
As soon as Abraham comes to that land of Canaan, the land that God had promised to him and his descendants, he builds an, off, he builds an altar and offers up sacrifices to the Lord his God. And his child and later his grandchild, Isaac and Jacob, did the same after the Lord had spoken to them and reaffirmed his promise. These patriarchs show thereby that they acknowledge the words of the Lord and that they also believe them. And so we see that Moses here, hundreds of years later, does the same thing. He builds an altar. And he builds an altar with 12 pillars, each pillar representing the 12 tribes of Israel. In this way, Moses represents all Israel in giving thanks to the Lord and in ratifying the covenant with him. For the building of the altar was a means of giving thanks to God and a way of responding to the words he had spoken. And then he commands some of the young men to slaughter some small animals and oxen for the sacrifice. Moses includes the young people in the ritual. For the sacrifice is made on behalf of all the people, young and old alike. And please note that the Lord God wants to use the young people here. The covenant belongs to them as well as the older people. And it is important for us to remember that as well. Too often we treat young people as if they only play a minor role in the covenant. They can receive the sacrament of baptism and the instruction that later on goes with it. And then when they are young adults, they can do profession of faith. But otherwise, we prefer that they are not too noticeable. But the Lord God does not treat them that way. He treats them in such a way that they too can be actively involved within the community of believers. And that's what happens here in this occasion as well. He employs them as priests. For at this point, the priesthood had not yet been instituted. That would be done later. For it would be yet another year before the tabernacle would be built. And then the priesthood would be restricted only to the descendants of Aaron. As soon as the animals are slaughtered, Moses divides the blood into two portions. One half of the blood he sprinkles on the altar. The other half he put in bowls for later use. Note well that the blood in this passage is a most important element in the ritual. Why was the blood needed? Well, without the blood, the sacrifices would not mean much. Blood indicates the loss of life. As children of Adam, the Israelites, and everyone on earth had forfeited their life. No one deserves to live. And the same thing is true for you and for me. In Adam, all men sinned. And the Lord God clearly spelled out to man that death would be the result of sin. And so, the use of the blood in the sacrifice indicates that man also acknowledges that. First, the Lord God says himself in Leviticus 17, verse 11, For the life of a, cre- of a creature is in the blood. And therefore he says further in that verse, And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. 
It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Only through the shedding of blood could atonement be made. As we saw when we read Hebrews 9 together, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 9 verse 22. Man had to be reconciled to God, and therefore blood had to be shed. Fortunately for man, however, the Lord deems it sufficient that the blood of animals be used. He does not require our blood, only the recognition that our blood needs to be shed through the symbolism of the blood of the animals. The Lord had taught him that fact only a few months before as they left the land of Egypt. Then they had to smear the blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would pass them by. For in essence, they were just as guilty before the Lord as the Egyptians. They were all sinners. It is only through the blood that they could be sanctified. And then Moses first throws the first half of the collected blood on the altar and on the meat that was on the altar. And so the meat is consecrated before the Lord. After the blood had been collected, the sacrifices are made. First, we see in our text that whole burnt offerings are made. With such a sacrifice, the whole animal is burned up, goes up into smoke. Nothing of that animal could be left over. It was all burned as a token of thankfulness to the Lord. And then after the burnt offering, also a fellowship, also known as a peace offering, is made. In such a case, not all the meat would be burned. Some of the meat would be kept for a fellowship meal, which would be held after the sacrifices were completed. And as you will see in the second point, later on we see that Moses also eats a meal on the mountain. That was also a kind of peace meal. And both of these offerings had reconciliation with God in mind. They showed with these offerings that they desired a right relationship with God. They wanted everything to be well between them and God. They desired to be close to him. But such a close bond can exist only if there is the forgiveness of sins. And so atonement was made by Moses for the people. In this way, the people acknowledged the Lord's just demands. They show that they do not quarrel with the fact that the Lord God requires their life. And again, they affirm this acknowledgement with the words that they spoke. For the people respond again and say, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. The people respond to God's covenant promises and demands. But then the ceremony is still not over. Moses still has the other half of the blood in his possession. The one half had been sprinkled on the altar, but now he takes the other half. He mixes it with some water, and he sprinkles it on the people. He takes for that a branch of hyssop, and so the blood of the animals flies through the air and descends upon the people. 
And having done so, he says to the people, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. The people are now under a blood bond. And it is a bond that the Lord God himself initiated. How blessed those people are standing there at that mountain. For what a privileged position they now have amongst the nations. Think about it. The Lord God, the Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, He has sanctified them to be His people. That is to say, He has separated them from the other nations. And He did that out of His own free will. He did not do that because Israel had more to offer than the other nations. No, Israel is a sinful nation just like the others. And the Lord God also knows that those Israelites standing there cannot keep the words of the covenant. They cannot keep the requirement of his laws. But nevertheless, he is merciful to them. God binds himself to his people through the blood of the covenant. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, just picture the scene before you. On one side, we see the great Mount Sinai. And from there, the Lord God speaks through his intermediary, Moses. Moses himself is so full of awe that he shook in his boots. It says literally in Hebrews 12, verse 21, The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Moses and also the people standing on the other on the other side are full of fear. They are full of awe. There is the Almighty God. He is speaking to us. He wants to have a relationship with us, a covenant relationship with us. And so they are keenly aware of God's presence. What a great moment in the history of God's people. God, the almighty creator of heaven and earth, speaks to them. Wouldn't you want to be there together with the people of Israel and experience that great event at a moment like this? And yet, congregation, how much greater our riches in this day and age For we live in a new dispensation, in a new testament. What the Israelites experienced was only a shadow of what is to come. For what do we have now? We have a view of the heavenly Zion, the city of the living God. We live at the time after Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has been poured out upon you. And our view is now so much clearer than Israel's view. Today we may be here also meeting God. God speaking to us through his word and through his spirit. Don't you stand in awe? And the pouring out of the Holy Spirit has been possible only because of the blood that was shed on Golgotha. The Israelites could look forward only to a constant shedding of the blood of the animals. For after this, this 
priestly class would still have to be consecrated. And still thousands upon thousands and thousands of gallons of blood from the animals would have to be shed by the priests for the atonement of the people. But in the New Testament we remember that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ has been poured out for us. He made the once for all sacrifice. As Peter says in 1 Peter 1 verse 2, we have been sprinkled with the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is therefore a great thing that we today at this juncture have the privilege of acknowledging the sprinkling of water symbolizing the blood of Christ. For now we realize that God's work of redemption for his people is now in the final stage But how awesome now our responsibility, brothers and sisters. We too have been bound and are bound by the blood of Christ. We read in Hebrews 12 verse 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Do you stand in awe of the Almighty God, brothers and sisters, boys and girls? It says, let us be thankful. To lead a thankful life means that Lord God wants acceptable worship. He wants us to worship Him in the way that He has commanded in His Word. He wants us to remain separate from the world as well. Not that we should escape from the world but that we do not take over worldly practices. Are you listening, brothers and sisters, boys and girls? We do not seek partners, for example, from the world either for that reason. To live a thankful life also means that we may not reject the blood of the bond of Jesus Christ. It is only through his blood that we find redemption. And that is something you want to share with your marriage partner, with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Only through the blood of Christ can we be reconciled to God. Only through him can we be once again received in favor and inherit eternal life. Brothers and sisters, through his covenant, the Lord our God draws near draws near to us. He does that every time a child is baptized, every time that we hear his word proclaimed, and every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. For God's bond with us means that we too have a bond with him and with each other. That brings us to the second point, namely the meal of the covenant. In order to draw near to God, Moses has to climb Mount Sinai once more. And that's also what he does. And he takes with him as representatives of the people, his brother Aaron, and also Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders. They represent the people before God. They all go up together. And then it says there in the text that they saw the God of Israel. You may wonder about that. What does that mean? For we know from many other passages that a man cannot see God and live. 
That's what the Lord says, for example, in Exodus 33, verse 20. You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. But a careful look at this passage will show that in reality, they do not really see God. For when God is mentioned here, we know that it speaks about the feet of God. But actually what are described here are not his feet, but what is under his feet, which is shown to be like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. And so the picture that comes before our eyes is that Moses and those who look up and see through a transparent and blue pavement. And so they see something of the feet of God, but they see it only through a mirror, only through that pavement made of sapphire. They see a glimpse, a reflection, and that's all they're allowed to see. For God is full of glory and majesty and light. Only after this life will we see God in the way that he truly is. And that will be such a wonderful revelation and such a wonderful surprise for us. It will be so wonderful that we will automatically fall down on our knees in awe and worship. What a happy and delightful moment that will be, brothers and sisters. But Moses and the others only gain a minute glimpse of the greatness of God. And even that in their sinful state, that was almost too much for them to bear. They saw some of his great and royal glory and they shudder because of his holiness. And after that, they sit down together and enjoy a meal. The scriptures do not describe what kind of meal, but most likely it was a peace offering. For along with the peace offering also belonged such a meal. And such a meal looked forward to the Lord's Supper meal the believers would enjoy together in the New Testament. That meal that Moses ate together with the elders there on Mount Sinai was made possible only because of the blood of atonement which had been sprinkled on the altar. In that meal, Moses and the elders who together represent the people of God celebrate the peace that they have with God. That's what we are doing today as well. We are celebrate, celebrating the peace that we may have with God. The peace because of the forgiveness of sins. But note well that God is not sitting among them. Not physically. God is a holy God. Who will not mingle with his people. And this meal was made possible only because Moses acted as a mediator between God and his people. Just picture it congregation when Moses made the whole burnt offering and the peace offering on behalf of the people Moses then stood between God and the people on the one side there is Mount Sinai on the other side there is the people and Moses stands right in between them in front of the altar blood has been sprinkled on the altar and blood has been sprinkled on the book of the covenant And blood has also been sprinkled on the people. And now the two parties are bound together by that covenant of blood with Moses acting as intermediary. But now let's think about the New Testament. At the institution of the Lord's Supper, we encounter 
another mediator. And do you know who that mediator is? That is the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostles sit together with Christ at the supper table. And these are the words that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke at that time as he poured out the wine. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Christ, the great mediator, spoke those words. And therefore, how great are our riches today compared to the Old Testament believer? The Lord binds us to the covenant through the blood of Christ. Blood no longer has to be sprinkled upon the people of God. Christ's blood makes us holy. And because Christ is the mediator, we are now so near to him. We are close to him. He has drawn us close to that holy God. He does not look upon me or you in our filthy state. But we can draw near to him. He is close to us. This momentous day, as I said earlier, looked forward to Pentecost. But now we no longer have to look forward to Pentecost. For now, because of Pentecost, God even dwells in us with his Holy Spirit. Through his Spirit, we are bound to the Father and the Son in the covenant of grace. And how wonderful it is that the Lord God binds himself to us in that way. We have God's presence. And that is what we may remember every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we did last week Sunday. God has bound us to him through the covenant. His son's blood has been shed on Golgotha. His blood has been sprinkled on us so that we may have the forgiveness of sins. Do you realize what a privileged position the Lord God has given you as well, brothers and sisters, and that includes you, boys and girls? He has set you and me apart for his service. And yet, also, how awesome the responsibility to have been made part of that covenant. For now, the Lord God also asks you and me to respond by leading holy lives. In the Old Testament, the tables of the law were deposited in the ark. And every year on the Day of Atonement, the blood would be sprinkled on the mercy seat which covered the ark. For the people sinned against God's word over and over again. But also today we have God's word. And the Lord God is very angry with us when we do not take that word seriously, when we sin against this word. And at the same time, we are about to enter the Holy of Holies in the real presence of of God when we meet our Maker then God will also ask you and me, each and every one of us, what have you done with that word? Did you believe my word? Do you take my word seriously? But don't worry. If you have diligently tried to be faithful to his word, then you will be able to sit at the table with him without any encumbrances, without any barriers. Then the angel will say to us, as we may read in Revelation 19, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
And then we will be ushered in. And we will be able to sit at the table with all the saints. How blessed we are indeed. Do you see it, congregation? Do you realize how privileged you are to have been drawn near to God through the blood of the covenant? Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, do not reject the word of God. Do not reject God's presence. Stand in awe of him and pray for the mighty work of the Holy Spirit. Rejoice in the riches that you have. For that great and mighty God wants to dwell in your hearts. And through his spirit we may have peace. And we may look forward to the day when all the barriers barriers which prevent us from having total communion with God now will have been removed. When we may enter and sit down and have the meal of the covenant forever and ever. What a great day that will be. Amen.